Well, I am a little bit of a proud dad. Perhaps you saw some of that. Uh, I love the opportunity to stand before you, church body, and to spend a few moments opening up the Word of God. So Happy New Year, a bit early to you. I already broke the first cardinal rule of the Sunday after Christmas. Aren't you supposed to wear something that you got for Christmas? I'm not doing that. I should have worn a hat, but I, I didn't do that. But all of that to say, I hope you have enjoyed some downtime with your family, and I hope you get a little bit more downtime over the next few days as you prepare for this new year. We're in 1 Thessalonians 5, of course, and if you don't own a Bible and you turn to page 929 to follow along, please keep that Bible, especially if you don't have one, keep that one as a gift from our church to you as we study through the Word of God together. Quick word about the book of 1 Thessalonians. It is one of the very first letters of Paul the Apostle. Some argue that Galatians might have been written a little bit sooner, but whatever the case, our text is certainly among the earliest of all the writings of Paul. And of his inspired writings, he is the most prolific author of the New Testament. In fact, 13 out of the 27 books in the New Testament were written by him. And if you count all the descriptions of Paul's life in the book of Acts, more than half of the New Testament was written either by or about the Apostle Paul. So some of the same themes and styles and patterns that he would follow in essentially every epistle that he wrote, some of those begin to be introduced right here in this final chapter of 1 Thessalonians. It's chapter 5. And I want to note with you, Importantly, that as Paul closes this letter, early on in his ministry, he wanted to leave his listeners with some guidelines that are critical to living out the Christian life. See, he knew and loved the people that were at this church in Thessalonica. Paul himself, of course, started the church. He had been there. In fact, he was run out of town on his second missionary journey, so much so that he had to leave by night under cover of darkness and follow along the coast and he was by himself and ushered out of town until he made his way to the city of Berea. You can read all about it in Acts chapter 17. Or you can come to the class that I teach at CCA next year because I'm not teaching it this year. You're not going to do any of those things, so just read the book of Acts in chapter 17 and you'll see Paul's relationship with the believers in Thessalonica. I tell you all that to remind you of one simple fact, and that is that Paul understood well the people that he was writing to. He knew the opposition that they would face. And in order to prepare them for the difficulty that lay ahead, he gave them two final lists that you'll see right here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. There's the always don't list of verses 19 through 22, but then there's also the always do verses. That's verses 16, 17, and 18, and that's where I want to focus. I won't be able to unfold the entirety of the passage that I asked Che to read, but I want to zero in on three principles from 16 through 18. Three simple resolutions for the new year are contained in these three verses. And in fact, of those three, I'm really only going to be able to develop one. And you'll know what that is as we get started. But let's take a look at those three verses, 16 through 18. Rejoice always. Sounds simple enough, right? All the time. Pray without ceasing. Now, that might be a little tougher, but okay, Paul. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Can you hear a little bit of Paul's fatherly tone as he's relaying these important principles to the church? It's really not that much different from what we might announce to our kids just before we walk out the door, right? Get those dishes done. <laughs> Make sure that by the time we get back, all the chores are finished. No fighting, no arguing, so-and-so's in charge, right? I mean, we're, we're familiar with what it's like to 
bark off some instructions on our way out the door, similar to what Paul is doing here. Why do we do that? Well, we say things like that when we want to blurt out the most important things that we want these people to remember. That's the way it was with Paul. He ties together three absolutely imperative principles that should always govern the life of a believer. Joy, prayer, and thankfulness. If there's anything that should identify us, those three should. Why? Well, they're building blocks for followers of Jesus that we should aspire to as we live out every new year. Three simple resolutions. Rejoice, pray, give thanks. Now, if someone off the street stopped you and asked you in passing, now, what is this whole Christianity thing? Can you explain to me what it means to be a believer? What is this whole life of salvation, life in Christ? What does it mean to be a Christian? I think you could easily produce those two first principles that Paul relays, right? You'd have no trouble explaining that Christianity is not a religion. It's really more about a relationship with Jesus. And that's, that's something that produces a joy that you can't help sharing. And that's the whole idea behind rejoice always. It's the fact that I have this relationship with Jesus. No matter what the circumstances of life, I know that my relationship with Christ is my identity. It's not what I do that identifies me. It's who I am in Jesus that identifies me. There's incredible joy in that. I think secondly, though, because of the fact that my dependence is no longer on me, I regularly ask Christ for his strength and wisdom to get through life. And that ongoing conversation with him is what we call prayer, right? So I don't think anyone would have any problem as a believer explaining that prayer should be my everyday pattern. I pray without ceasing. I carry on this ongoing conversation with Jesus. So those first two principles, if you were explaining the Christian life, would come easily. The same as Paul. Rejoice always. My joy is... Remember how Matt has described joy as the undercurrent, not the waves on top, but the undercurrent. Because the waves are affected by the weather, just like my life can sometimes be affected by circumstances, but the undercurrent of my life should be this incredible joy that I have because of Jesus. That would come easily in my description of the, the Christian life, and so would my ongoing conversation with Jesus. Joy, prayer, got it, Paul, makes sense. By the way, if you are not a part of our church prayer Slack channel, let me encourage you to do so. I, I can't emphasize strongly enough how important it is to be involved in the life of the body of believers. So if you're not a part of that Slack channel, it's a terrific way to find out about the needs of your brothers and sisters in Christ so that we can pray for one another. That's what believers do. Just a quick plug. And if you haven't already done that, I hope you'll stop by the info desk and let us help you figure out how to get Slack loaded onto your phone and then keep up with all the prayer requests that are there. So prayer, joy, and prayer elements of the Christian life that are basic and foundational to somebody who wants to know what Christianity is all about. I, don't, I think all of us would probably get there eventually in our description. But I think that's about as far as I would get unless I read the Apostle Paul. That's not where he stopped. What's the last thing on his top three list of to-dos, the basic building blocks for the Christian life? Give thanks all the time. Not only in the good times, even more so in times of struggle, when life is hard or unfair or it seems hopeless or discouraging. In all circumstances means exactly that all the time. Now, why would Paul say that? Why would that be on his short list of ways to describe the, the most important facets of the Christian life? 
Well, catch the wording of his explanation. See it there in verse 18? This is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Now, I'm going to try to unfold for you what that means. But let it sink in for a moment because there's a lot more depth to it than what you might initially see. In other words, God wants me to live a thankful life because that's what he demonstrated through the life of his son. Now, maybe, maybe I'm the only one who wrestles with this idea of thankfulness being evidenced in the life of Jesus. I don't know that I would pick that one as Christ's defining characteristic. And yet Paul says, give thanks in all things because that's the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. You think that that, would that be the first thing that came to your mind when you looked at the pattern of Jesus' life? Would you think, yes, thankfulness above and beyond everything else. That's what identifies Jesus and as the Son of God, as the, the perfect man. I think it could be easily convinced that his life patterned the other two principles, joy and prayer. Joy, for sure. Jesus' birth and his life overflowed with tidings of great joy. We just sang about that last week during the Christmas season, didn't we? People mobbed him everywhere he went. In many cases, they were so joyous just to see him or just to, to touch him in one person's case that we find or even just to hear a few words of preaching and teaching from him. There was incredible joy. Prayer, that's no problem. There are plenty of biblical examples of Christ pleading for the Father's will or urging people to pray or demonstrating to his followers how to pray. But thankfulness? To be honest, I really had a hard time coming up with examples from Scripture that clearly depict Christ's thankfulness. Now, before you write me off as a heretic, I'm not saying that Jesus was not thankful. Certainly, as the Son of God, he was thankful. He is thankful. He's God in human form. The perfect example of a life of obedience to the Holy Spirit. He exhibited all of the qualities to their infinitely perfect degree. I'm not arguing that. I just don't know that it's the first thing that I would think when I'm thinking of the life of Jesus. And yet Paul says, give thanks in all things, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. And out of those three principles, that's the one, giving thanks, that Paul chose to emphasize. Now, if I'm trying to find an example in Scripture, there's not a lot that come to my mind. There's a few times where he gave thanks for a meal, but at first blush, the passage that leapt into my mind was Luke 17. You remember where Christ taught about thankfulness through the, the healing of the ten lepers? Do you remember the story? Only one came back to give him thanks, and that was the foreign Samaritan. The other nine that Jesus healed, they did not actually return to say thank you to him. And I think it might be because my... my understanding of what thankfulness is, especially as it's depicted in my life and even demonstrated in Scripture, my understanding of true thankfulness is probably a bit off. It might be that my view of thanks is similar to the way that the dictionary defines it. It's a feeling of gratitude or an acknowledging of some benefit. That's the way I tend to view thanks. I'm, I'm, I'm thankful when I'm expressing gratitude or when I'm acknowledging that someone's been good to me. I send a thank you note to affirm your generosity for an unexpected, unexpected gift or a favor. Or I might say thank you as a polite way of acknowledging civility. You hold the door for me. Oh, thank you. Um, there's something that has to be done for me in order for me to be thankful. That's the way I tend to view it. Or if you're ornery like I am, 
you might say thank you at Chick-fil-A just to see if you can elicit the response from their staff, right? Because when I say thank you, what do I expect the staffer at Chick-fil-A to say back to me? You've all been there too, obviously. So I tend to view thank you in those very simple ways. Of course, none of those ideas really capture Paul's intentions here in 1 Thessalonians 5 when he's encouraging the church to give thanks in all circumstances. Is he saying, wait till something happens and then return an acknowledgement of this gracious act? Is that what Paul's saying? Of course not. You see, the closer we look at the life of Christ, our our example, in its ultimate form, the more we begin to realize Paul's understanding of thankfulness, at least the one that he's trying to describe here. I really believe Christ's thankfulness to his Father was on full display when he acknowledged God's character and when he responded enthusiastically to it. In other words, Christ showed his thankfulness by recognizing the right thing about God and then responding the right way to it. Recognize who God is and then respond to him. There's two inseparable parts to thankfulness, recognition and response, acknowledgement, and reaction. Right thinking that leads to right doing. Let me give you one quick example so we're all understanding what thankfulness is described here in 1 Thessalonians 5 that's also described by the life of Jesus in Christ Jesus elsewhere in Scripture. Turn with me, if you would, to John chapter 11. I want to remind you of some events that happened here. This is the resurrecting of Lazarus from the dead. If you understand the story, you kind of know the basic details. But There were some events that led up to this resurrection. You see, Christ had been approached by the two sisters of Lazarus, Mary and Martha. They were deeply grieved about the recent passing of their brother. And then they they called for Jesus to come, and they told him that if he had come sooner, that Lazarus wouldn't have died in the first place. Rather than defend himself, though, notice what Jesus does here in John chapter 11. He told him to watch what God was going to do. Now, I'm going to pick up the reading in John chapter 11. I've skipped a whole big part of the story, but I'm going to pick up in verse 40 and try to catch us all up to speed. Notice what Jesus says to Mary. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. That's a stone that was sealing Lazarus in his tomb. They took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father... I thank you. Isn't that, is that not what you would expect Jesus to say immediately? Does something else come to mind? If you were to predict what Jesus was going to say as soon as the stone was rolled away from the tomb, would it be, Father, I thank you? Notice how he finishes here, though. Father, I thank you that you have heard me. <laughs> I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. There's just so much going on here. I'll I'll try to capture it as quickly as I can. I would have thought the first words to come out of Christ's mouth might have been that command for Lazarus to come forth. Now, that comes later. But the first thing out of his mouth was not that. What did he say instead? He said, Father, I thank you. Don't miss the impact. With all eyes glued on Jesus, wondering what he was going to do, the collective breath of the crowd was held in agonizing anticipation wondering what Christ was going to say. And what does he say? He simply says, thank you. Now, God's word doesn't record the gathered crowd's response, but I think that in today's vernacular, all of them might have blurted out, wait, what? (laughs) You're going to start with that? Now, we know the end of the story. 
reading it in retrospect. It's a miraculous outcome that proves Christ's power over death. No one questions that. But I want to shift the focus for a moment on one simple question. Why did Jesus start by saying thank you? Incidentally, the word translated here as thank you in this passage, it's the very same one that Paul uses in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. That means whatever it is that Christ did here, it's exactly the same thing that we're told to do in 1 Thessalonians 5 by Paul when he says, give thanks in all circumstances. So let's not miss it. How did Christ show his thankfulness? Well, he recognized the right thing about God, and then he responded the right way to it. The stone was removed, and immediately Christ acknowledged God's sovereignty by saying, thank you. But let's realize that his thankfulness wasn't just in the words. Those were a benefit for the bystanders. And Christ said that much in verse 42, if you saw it there. But it was simply a reflex response to his father's character. Now think of that. He said thank you as a response to the character of God, not the actions of God, but to the character of God. Make sure you catch that, because that's the true essence of thankfulness. He's thanking God for his character. He didn't say what you and I might say. God, I know you can hear me. <laughs> I'm praying that you will hear me. No, Christ's reaction is you do hear me. You always have heard me. And in that moment, without us maybe realizing it in, in a cursory reading, in that moment, he's commenting on God's character, not on his ability. Of course, God's able to do anything because he's sovereign, right? But he's also compassionate and infinitely loving because he's good. His sovereignty and his goodness are facets of his unsearchable character. He doesn't contradict himself. But it's only when we focus on specific abilities of God rather than on the character of God that we could potentially run the risk of conflict. One quick plug here. My wife didn't know I was going to say this, but she and many of the other ladies will begin a study on attributes and characteristics of God. That study will begin in Sunday seminars in February. So let me highly encourage you ladies to jump in and be a part of that. But I, I make this mistake in my lack of understanding of thankfulness. I make this mistake in thanking God for his abilities or for his actions. Rather than thanking God for his character. Jesus didn't make that mistake. How different might our prayers be if we focused on God's character? The character of God rather than his abilities. What if we learn to recognize the right thing about God and then respond the right way to it? I'll tell you what might happen. We might actually learn to give thanks in all circumstances. Crazy. A person whose life is marked by gratitude is not necessarily someone who says thank you a lot. It's the person who acknowledges that God is at work behind the scenes constantly in all of life's events, good, bad, or otherwise. And then enthusiastically, that person embraces whatever it is that lies ahead. That's true and genuine thankfulness. In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. This is seeing God's character and responding the right way to it, knowing that God truly is a loving God who is completely sovereign. Now, if thankfulness is missing from my life, it's typically because I'm struggling with either the recognizing part or the responding part. It's not always both, but often one or the other. I don't recognize God for his character, or I don't respond the right way to it. I guess you could say, honestly, I'm half thankful because <laughs> I'm either recognizing or responding right, but not the other. It'd be a whole lot easier if our passage encouraged me to give half thanks in all circumstances. Now, that I could do. 
In my heart, sometimes I question God's sovereignty. God, are you really in control? Is this really as important to you, God, as it is to me? Do you really care? Are my prayers falling on deaf ears? Sometimes I feel that way. Sometimes I question his goodness. God, why would you let this happen? Do you really care? See, those are the kinds of questions that I struggle with when I'm not really acknowledging, when I'm not really recognizing. The other side's a bit more challenging. I know I'm battling ingratitude on the responding side when I start to feel sorry for myself. It's when I hear my inner voice saying things like, well, you know what, fine, I didn't care. I didn't care about that anyway. When my love begins to fade, when my joy begins to wane, when there's a lack of peace or patience or kindness in my life, when those things, beginning to, when those things are beginning to falter, friends, that is a surefire evidence of the fact that I'm falling prey to wrong responses. I'm misunderstanding what it means to give thanks in everything because this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. On the responding side, I'm struggling. When any of the fruits of the Spirit are missing, or even if they're sporadic, there's a response problem, right? Isn't that really what the fruits are anyway? The fruits of the Spirit are responses that are Spirit-generated, Holy Spirit-empowered and generated. So those fruits are really the byproducts of the prompting of the Holy Spirit in my life. And I can either embrace those things or I can ignore them. All of those issues, friends, are thankfulness response issues. Am I recognizing God for his character, for who he is, not just for what he's going to do for me? But am I recognizing God at his character and then am I responding the right way, evidencing the fruits of the Spirit in my life? Now here's a simple exercise to gauge your thankfulness during this holiday season. When you have a minute, walk through the fruits of the Spirit. They're in Galatians 5, verses 22 and 23. There's nine of them listed. And when you have a chance, read through those and then be really just dead level honest with yourself about any that need attention. How are you doing with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control? How are those things being evidenced in your life? Are there some that need attention? Because then you'll quickly see the response struggles that affect your ability to give thanks in all circumstances. How is it, friends, that Jesus could pray to the Father in the garden, not my will, but yours be done, and genuinely believe it? How could Paul proclaim boldly in 2 Corinthians 12 that he was content with weaknesses? I'm not content with weaknesses. Paul was. And he didn't just stop there. With insults. I don't like insults. Not at all. I push back against them. I fight against them. I'm defensive over them. Paul says I'm content with weaknesses, with insults, with hardships, with persecutions and calamities. That's all 2 Corinthians 12 verse 10. Why? Well, it's because he, modeling his life after Jesus, learned to recognize the right thing about God and then respond the right way to it. Now, maybe, friends, that's where your struggle is today. Maybe there's a battle going on in your heart right now. No one really knows fully to the deepest extent about it except you and God. And maybe there's something that's robbing you of the thankfulness that's the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Well, let me encourage you today. As you embark on another resolution time, let me encourage you to consider three simple resolutions for the new year. Rejoice always. Should be a regular part of my 
relationship with Jesus. Pray without ceasing. And I think perhaps most deeply and most importantly, at least for my life and perhaps for yours as well, in everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Friends, Jesus is the one who has empowered you and demonstrated and modeled for you what it looks like. And for you and I, God's given us the Holy Spirit to empower us. May God use the struggles in my life and in yours to drive us towards acknowledging and towards responding in a way that reflects giving thanks in all circumstances. Would you bow with me? Father, I praise you so much for your word. I thank you for a time of just spending a few minutes looking into simple principles from it. God, I love reading your word. I love talking about it. And yet, honestly, God, if there were a camera following me around all day, every day, I think it'd be obvious that I struggle to obey it. I want to smile and nod and acknowledge it, God, but boy, I'm so weak. I'm so prone to wander so quick to leave the beaten path that you've established for me, God, the, the easily followed straight path that you've promised in your word. If we'll simply in all our ways acknowledge you, then you will direct our paths. And God, I, I wander. But I praise you. I praise you for this simple truth of what it means to be truly thankful, to acknowledge you, and to respond to you. And so God, may that be the cry of my heart this new year, God. May every resolution for this year, may it, may it come second to me acknowledging and responding to you, the essence of true thankfulness. So I praise you, God, for a moment today to look into your word and to see it, to see you for who you are. So God, we pray for your guidance, for your wisdom. With gratitude, Father, we embark on a new year and we cry out to you, thank you that you're who you claim to be. God, I, I echo the words of Jesus. I thank you. I thank you that you have heard us. You always hear us. And I praise you for those simple truths. Would you strengthen us, Father, to the work that you call us to in 2024? We don't know if we have the gift of another day. But for today, as we look at the new year before us and we celebrate its coming, God, in, in this moment, we say thank you. We recognize this is the will of God in Christ Jesus and, and pray for your strength to accomplish it. I pray it all in the name of our Savior. Amen.